All right, everybody, welcome to Remnant. How are we doing? Fantastic. It's, it's great to see faces back. We've missed you. We're so glad you're here. If you're at home watching, I just want to say one thing. We don't want you back here until God tells you it's time to come back. And when he, come, when he does, we just can't wait to see you. George, it's great to see you here. We've been praying for you like you wouldn't believe. So praise God for that. All right. Well, my name is Frank. I'm one of the pastors. If you're new, um, I'm just glad you're here. And if you're watching online, we're glad you're here. And um, uh, we're just excited to learn from God's word today. And we've been in the book of Jonah. We're in the third week. And we kind of left Jonah last week struggling in the boat. Um, and tonight or today, we're going to talk about uh, a little further in the story. And we're going to learn today that the majority of people who study the story of Jonah miss the message. But we're not going to miss it today. One of my earliest childhood memories was at my grandparents' house in Texarkana, Texas. I was about three and a half, maybe four, Saturday night. And my mom declared that a bath was now required. <laughs> Those are fighting words to a four-year-old, at least this four-year-old. And part of being in my family was to understand that when it comes to bath time, mom rules. She alone determines what clean really meant. But I remember this particular night because instead of going to the bath, I tried to exert my newly discovered independence. The word of mom came to Frank and Frank ran to Tarshish. I wasn't dirty. I didn't need a bath. I remember trying to hide all over my grandparents' home. I should have known better. There's no way mom was going to let me go to church the next day without taking a bath the night before. I ran and mom pursued. I thought she was angry, not impressed at all with my sudden realization that I could decide what clean meant and I didn't need her advice or opinion. No matter how hard I tried to run from mom, she kept pursuing me. She began to reveal to me the consequences of my disobedience. She eventually left me no choice but to surrender. After all the drama, I expected painful scrubbing, a disappointed mom lecturing me through the whole bath. I thought she wanted to get me to surrender so she could make an example of me to my brother and sister. I remember standing there naked and exposed, waiting for my punishment and recognizing that my relationship with mom was at the very least strained. She made me acknowledge that I was covered with dirt, made me recognize what I've been trying to deny, what I was running from, and then she said it was time to make sure I was clean. I braced for the Brillo pad and the lye soap and the painful scrubbing. I've been thinking a lot about that during this story of Jonah. Our walk with God is a lot like that. Part of being in his family is to understand that God rules. And he alone decides what clean really is. In the God's family, Jesus wants all his children to be clean. Now, God declares that we're dirty and we need to be clean, and we run to Tarshish. We run and he pursues us. That's, that's how it works. We argue with him that we're not that dirty, that we really don't need to be clean, that our dirt is not that obvious and it isn't hurting anyone. So God pursues us and then brings circumstances in our lives to direct us back to the truth. The more we run, the more he pursues us. Each time we move further away, he intensifies his pursuit. We fear that God is pursuing us to punish us for our disobedience. God's pursuit of us seems relentless because it is. 
We know that running from his presence is futile, but we'd rather do that than face disappointment and punishment. Eventually, what God reveals can't be denied. We often feel naked and exposed, and God requires that we confess that we're dirty, vulnerable, exposed, ashamed, and guilt-ridden. We brace for the punishment that we feared. We've been studying the story of Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah and he ran. We learned last week that God sent a storm into his life to get his attention. Today we're going to continue the story. We learned in week one that God loves everyone and we don't. We learned in week two that we're all connected, that what we do impacts other people. And today we're going to learn that God pursues his children out of love, not anger. God has a lot to teach us in this story. Let me remind you where we left off. Jonah has told the mariners a half-truth. The ship is going down. The storm is raging like no storm they've ever seen. The mariners understand that Jonah's God is powerful and huge. This is a storm like no one's ever seen. They have cast lots, and Jonah has confessed that this storm is due to his rebellion. They've just turned to him and essentially said, are you crazy? Why would you run from this God? You can't run from this God. We don't even know him, and we know you can't run from this God. Look at the storm. Jonah 1, verse 11. And they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. That's an odd question. I mean, when you really think about it, that's not the question you expected them to ask. What shall we do to you? You would have expected, Jonah, what do you need to do to correct the problem that you've caused? This is your storm. What, Jonah, what do you need to do to fix it? That's not what they asked. They had to have realized at this point that Jonah doesn't care. That Jonah's not going to do anything to solve this. That Jonah's completely checked out. He's essentially said, I know I've caused this, but I'm not going to do anything about it. The mariners realize that they're going to have to act. Jonah is so passive that he's ineffective. I think their frustration and anger is starting to build. They realize that whatever happens needs to happen to Jonah rather than from Jonah. What do we need to do to you? So we can get out of your storm. That's what they're asking. Also note that the storm is building. Every time God gives Jonah an opportunity to repent, and Jonah doesn't do it, the storm intensifies. We see that in our own lives as well. The more Jonah tells half-truths, the more the storm intensifies. The more Jonah refuses to acknowledge what God already knows, the storm intensifies. Verse 12, he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Can I just say this? I don't like Jonah. I'm just going to say it now. We're in the third week. We've got about four or five more weeks to go. I just don't like Jonah. He's not even man enough to throw himself in the water. Come on. Jonah, at least throw yourself in the water. He's like, no, no, 
Y'all can throw me in the water. I'm not doing a thing here. This is not me. He's saying, look, the only way this storm calms down is for you to throw me into the water. I'm not going to make any effort to save you. Even though this is my storm, and even though you're innocent, and even though you have no business being here, you're here only because of my rebellion. I'm not going to help you at all. You see, I don't really care about me, and I don't care about the Assyrians, and honestly, I don't care about you. I'm doing my thing. I'm doing what I want to do. People who run from God eventually get to a point where they only care about themselves. And they will use anyone to get what they want. But since you guys are right here in front of me, he says, if you want to get out of this, the only option you have is to throw me in. But that's not true, is it? That's not the only option. Jonah is still spewing out half-truths. There is another option, Jonah. You could drop to your knees, put your face on the deck of the boat, cry out to God, confess your sin, your rebellion, your hatred for the Assyrians, your selfishness, your lie to others. Jonah, you could own the damage that you're causing, and this storm would stop like that. Tell God you'll go to Nineveh. Tell him you're sorry that you ran from his command. You see, I believe if Jonah had taken that option, the storm would have ceased. But Jonah would rather die. Jonah would rather die than being involved in saving the life of one Assyrian. He would rather die himself than be told to go help save somebody else. He plans to go down with his grip tightly around his hatred and his racism. Some say Jonah is repentant at this point. I don't see that at all. He didn't sacrifice himself. He didn't throw himself in the water. He didn't confess anything. All he did is that he just said, look, if you want to do something, do it. I don't care. He's thumbing his nose at God and he's saying, kill me if you want. Throw me overboard, but I'd rather die than obey God and help somebody else be saved. I truly don't care what you do, but I am not going to Nineveh. I'm taking control here. This is what we do when we run from God. I'm taking control. I'm doing what I want to do. God, you can't make me go. I'm ending this right here, right now. Either they throw me overboard or this ship goes down, but either way, I'm not going to Nineveh. That's what's happening. Verse 13. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Now note that these mariners are acting more Christ-like than Jonah is. It seems Jonah isn't going to lift a finger to save them, but they're going to row hard to try to save him. They don't want to throw him overboard. They decide to try to solve the problem themselves. Forget what Jonah says. We can get ourselves out of this. If we just work hard enough, if we just row hard enough, but the harder they tried, the scriptures tell us, the worse the storm got. They were afraid, but they were willing to try to save Jonah. But as the mariners tried to solve the problem themselves, they began to interfere with what God was doing. Don't miss this. I'm going to repeat it. When they began trying to solve the problem themselves, they began to interfere with what God was doing in the picture, in the mission. 
God was using this and these circumstances to change the heart of his prophet, to force him to deal with his racism, to force him to confess his run from God. God is not going to let Jonah not learn that lesson. And the mariners begin to interfere with what God's doing. They try to take matters into their own hands. Rather than realizing God had caused the storm for a purpose, they were just trying to escape. God sent a clear message to them. The storm becomes stronger every time anybody does anything that's not God's intent. You will not get out of this storm on your own effort. We do the same thing, don't we? Often God is involved in discipline or correction, and we rush in trying to solve the problem with our opinions instead of praying to see if God actually wants us to do anything. We interfere in what God's doing in the lives of others in an effort to do the right thing. Just like the mariners were doing. Their intentions are good. They're honorable, but what they don't realize is that Jonah had to learn a lesson. And this was his storm. It's his lesson to learn. Let me just tell you something. If there's a storm in your life because of you, you have to solve it. Nobody else can step in and solve it for you. Nobody else can come in and do it because God is teaching you a lesson about you. This lesson had to come from God, and God was doing something so much bigger than what any of them in this boat could see at the moment. But God wasn't just using this storm to reach Jonah. They all have a lesson to learn in this storm. Everybody on this boat is in the middle of what God is doing. God loves them too much to let them miss it either. Note that they could not, for the sea kept growing more and more tempestuous against them. The storm got rougher, not just rougher, but notice the scriptures say, against them. See, previously this storm was against Jonah. Now they've jumped in to interfere with what God is doing in Jonah's life, and now the storm is against them as well. The more they resist what God is doing in Jonah's life, the more the storm intensifies in their life. God is using the intensity of the storm to get their attention. He's basically telling the mariners, stop rowing. What's happening here is much bigger than your opinion or what you think should happen. You see, I'm God and I'm rearranging the world to not only change Jonah, but to save some Assyrians that you've never met before. The picture's much bigger than this moment that you're in. To get out of their solve mode and into what God is doing, they begin to acknowledge their futility and they surrender to him. Therefore, as a result of awareness, Jonah's about to go swimming. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. Something incredible happens in this verse. You see it? Look at the verse. You see, when this storm started, they were all crying out to their own gods. Each to their own gods. And when that God failed them, they began to try to solve the problem themselves. And when they got to the end of trying to solve the problem themselves, they're, they're crying out to God. 
They're in the midst of their panic. Previously, they were crying out to any God, but now they recognize this is God. In the midst of the storm, they're beginning to see and understand who Jonah's God really is. God is using this storm to witness to them. They've already thrown everything except Jonah overboard. They tried to escape the storm through their own efforts. They exhausted everything they knew to do. And the longer they're in the storm and the longer they have to persevere in the storm, they begin to learn something. Something that they never would have realized without the storm. Each time they cry out to God from their storm, they gain more truth. The storm hits, they they do what all of us do. Stop the storm, God, you need to stop the storm. Get me out of this. People who don't even know or believe in God will cry out to God if the storm gets bad enough. But in the midst of the storm, they begin to learn about Jonah's God because they stayed in the storm. If they had exited the storm, they never would have seen the power of God demonstrated to them. They persevered in the storm and they began to believe in Jonah's God. In the midst of the storm, they're beginning to see and understand who God really is. And let me just tell you, that's where most of us learn who God really is, in the midst of the storms of our life. And because they're starting to believe, look at what they say. Oh, Lord. Not, oh, Jonah's God. Oh, Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you. Oh, Lord, repeated, have done as it pleased you. Oh, Lord, not, oh, Jonah's God. Not, oh, little G God. Not one of many gods. Not even the term for the general concept of God. The word they use here is Yahweh. And they do it twice, so there's no doubt. This is not some generic God word. They're saying, my God. They're believers. God has reached them in the storm. And now, because they're believers, the word Yahweh is the personal name of God that Jewish people would use for God. Prior to this trip, they didn't even know what that word was. Jonah taught it to them in the midst of the storm. Now they're calling him Yahweh because he's now their God too. The word Yahweh is the most frequent designation that a Jewish person has for God. It's used 5,321 times in the Bible. So they cry out to their new God. Note this time when they cry out to God, he's not just Jonah's God. But now that realization that he's really God and he's really their God, now they've got a problem. Now they've got a big problem. Think about their dilemma for a minute. They've tried to save Jonah on their own, but they failed. They're pretty sure that Jonah's the problem, but they're not absolutely sure. If Jonah is thrown overboard and he's not the problem, they have just made their God, their personal God, really mad because they just tried to kill one of his prophets. They saw what happened to Jonah when he disobeyed. We don't want anything to do with this God getting madder than he already is. They better get this one right. So they get on their knees and they pray to God for not being punished for throwing Jonah overboard. 
So they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. And that word ceased in scripture means immediately, instantly, hurricane, storm, waves everywhere, boom, stops. Soon as Jonah hits the water. Can you imagine what the mariners must have thought? Waves everywhere, wind everywhere, ship tossing back and forth, water falling all over them, the ship's taking on water, everything instantly calm, serene, smooth, no wind. The ship is now still and all they can hear is the dripping of water off the mast. And it happened like that. You see, God wanted to make sure that everyone on that boat knew there was only one way that storm was calmed. God caused it. God stopped it. Had they not persevered through the storm, if they had exited the storm, they wouldn't have learned the lesson that God is in the storm with you and he will stop the storm when the lesson's learned. You see, the way God stopped the storm was a blessing to them. It was a gift. Had the storm gradually improved or slowly resolved over time, they could have passed it off as a coincidence. We see that all the time. Promises in the storm and forgetfulness when the storm ends. But Jonah's splash brought immediate calm waters. And God is once again arranging the circumstances to reveal himself to those he pursues. Verse 16, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows. There's no doubt they're believers on this boat now. These men have been through three kinds of fear. The first fear, impending danger and threat to their life. Then the fear comes of realizing you're not in control. But the fear expressed here in the scriptures and the language is that of being awestruck and full of wonder. They stood back and said, oh my God. And they were having a conversation. Because they knew God had calmed the storm. The one true God of everything caused the storm, rescued them, and stopped the storm. And this God deserved their sacrifice, their worship, and their surrender. They offered a sacrifice. They made vows. They promised to follow this God. Note that they did it before and after the storm was over. So many of us make promises in the storm and walk away from them when everything calms down. God had used Jonah's rebellion in the storm to bring others to know about him. God never wastes an opportunity, even your rebellion. God wanted these mariners to know him. It's not a coincidence they were on this ship on that day. It's no coincidence that Jonah was on that ship with these men that day. You see, God was pursuing not only Jonah, but some mariners who thought they could navigate, but discovered that without God, they're lost. God lovingly pursues his children and those he loves. And by the way, he loves everybody. He's pursuing you right now. No matter where you go, no matter where you run, no matter what you do, in some area of your life right now, he is pursuing you. Now, as far as they know, Jonah's dead, right? Imagine Jonah as he hits the water. 
He's ready to die. He expects to die. He'd rather die. He's maintained his own control. He chose not to do what God wanted him to do. He's feeling good. He's in charge of his own death. What Jonah doesn't realize or has forgotten is that God is always in control of every moment. And when his children run from him, he runs to them. The warm embrace of God's love for Jonah would next be felt in the digestive system of a great fish. But as Jonah continues to run, God keeps pursuing. Verse 17, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Note that the Lord appointed the fish. Jonah runs, God sends a storm. Jonah keeps running, God sends a fish. God has total control over every created being. He created this fish for this purpose. It was his destiny. Everything the fish was supposed to do, he lived to swallow Jonah. Everything God creates fulfills a purpose. Note that this was a great fish. They did not use the word for whale. We don't know what kind of fish it was. It had to have been large. Could have been a unique fish created one time and solely for this moment. We don't know. But we know he did it. But imagine Jonah. He's sinking in the water, expecting to die. Maybe he has a smile on his face. I did it my way. Maybe he's singing the song or something. But then this massive fish with his huge mouth comes up and swallows him. And all of a sudden you can breathe. Okay, it stinks, but you can breathe. It's dark, it's wet, and you realize, and it finally dawns on you, you're not in control. God is not finished with you yet. God, as always, has been and he has a lesson for you to learn, and it hasn't changed. And even if you run, he's still going to teach you the lesson. You see, God pursues you to teach you what you need to learn that you're not facing. Now, this was a great fish. Do you wonder, do you wonder why we know, even though we know running from God is futile, even when the circumstances in our life are getting worse and worse and worse, we still keep running. Do you know why? Because we don't understand the depths of God's love for us. We run because we picture an angry, mad, judgmental God who's standing there with a hot bath, holding a Brillo pad and lye soap, ready to chastise us and punish us for not obeying him. So many believe that God sent the storm into Jonah's life to judge him, to punish him, to chastise him. But do you know what true judgment would be? If God really wanted to judge Jonah, he would have let Jonah go to Tarshish. Go, run. Flee from my presence. I'm not going to do anything. You just keep running. An unloving and uncaring God would look at Jonah and say, go ahead. Run from my presence, live the rest of your life and all of eternity away from me. That's what an unloving God would do. But Jonah's God and our God loves everyone. And God lovingly pursues his children wherever we go. 
The greatest love God showed to Jonah was to bring the storm in his life. If Jonah didn't love, if God didn't love Jonah, there would have been no storm. You see, we teach this story as if the storm is God's punishment when it's his love. And when Jonah failed to repent, God loved him more. He made the storm worse. And as Jonah continued to do it, God loved him more. He let him go overboard. And when he continued to rebel, God loved him even more. He had a fish suck him up into the stomach. That's how much God loves him. God sent his love to Jonah through a fish. Everything that happened to Jonah on this boat was God's love being poured out on him. Because God loved him too much to let him run away, to run to Tarshish. You see, we run from him, and yet he runs to us. We run from God, we end up running right into him, because when we run, he pursues us. But too often, we don't see the acts of God, the storms in our life, the unpleasant circumstances as acts of love on behalf of a God who wants us to change. But God does not pursue us to judge us. He's not vindictive. He's not angry. He loves you. He wants the best for you. The problem is we don't understand the depths of his love. The crisis that God allowed in Jonah's life was his love being poured out on Jonah. We don't often think of the things in our lives as God's love. Do you see the troubles in your life as God's love for you? God is all-powerful, all-knowing. He's not surprised by anything. Anything that's happened in your life occurred because God allowed it. Let that sink in for a moment. Whatever's happened in your life, God has allowed it for a reason, because he loves you. I don't care what it is, pick it. It's come into your life because God loves you. It's one of the hardest things to embrace about God. Every event in your life has been allowed by God. He has the awareness, the power to stop it, and he doesn't. How could a loving God allow crisis in the life of his children and his creation? Because God's love is often manifested in his discipline. He tells us a father disciplines his children. It's always a reminder to us that he didn't let us run all the way to Tarshish. If we go all the way, he'll chase us there. He creates circumstances in our life to get us to turn, to change. And the most important thing, God's perspective, it's not your experience here on earth, but rather the eternal state of your soul. You see, if God had let Jonah run all the way to Tarsus, Jonah would have been lost forever. God doesn't care what happens in this moment. He wants to spend eternity with Jonah because he loves Jonah. The moment's not the big thing, it's the mission. We tend to focus only on the here and now. God is interested in eternal things. He'll allow almost anything in our lives, including our death, to keep us from being separated from him forever. We run and God is constantly pursuing us. But his love sometimes feels to us like a crisis. Often it takes a crisis in our life to make us realize we're not in control. 
And that's exactly why loving God has allowed it in the first place. When that fish sucked up Jonah and Jonah began to breathe inside the belly of the fish, I think God thought, good, now I finally have your attention. And you finally now realize who's in control. Have you noticed how we judge everything? I talked about this a few weeks ago. I'm going to repeat it because I think it's instructive. We, we judge every moment, good or bad. Something good happens to us, thank you God for the blessing. Something we don't like, Satan's punishing me. Okay. We get angry at God, why aren't you stopping this? It's not, I'm not enjoying this, so it can't be from you. Satan must be doing this. God, why aren't you stopping it? Why are you letting me stay in the storm and why is it getting worse? Then we look in the rearview mirrors of our lives and we see that the things we thought were really bad were actually some of the best things that ever happened to us. We prayed so hard for God to take them away and now in hindsight, we're like, thank you God for getting me to persevere through that storm so I could learn about me. Looking back, our greatest growth experiences come during storms. You see, we see life so linearly, like everything is like today and what's happening right now. And God's like, no, I want you to start living eternally. It's in the scriptures all over the place. Put your mind on the things of God. Live out of this moment. Step above it. Look from God's perspective. God's focus is on our souls and our eternal needs. Everything that happens in your life that God has allowed, which by the way is everything, it has an eternal purpose and focus in your life. God has almost zero interest in transforming you into a well-adaptive human on earth. He's transforming you into a spiritual being whose residence is in heaven. The things of earth to God are like a moment. God is focused on the eternal. And the experiences we have on earth are important to get us there. You see, God is in the saving and transforming business. That's what he does. In our flesh, we focus on our circumstances here on earth. But God keeps telling us our focus should be on bigger things. James says it this way, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And steadfastness, let it have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Notice that to be perfect and complete, if you read that backwards, I want to be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Okay, then I have to go through trials of various kinds. Trials are necessary for God to grow us. We Peter says, why are you acting like something unusual has happened to you? These trials are part of being a believer. Sometimes, like Jonah, trials are the only way God can get our attention. But we're so self-absorbed that it takes a trial to make us realize we're not in control. James tells us we should count it as joy when we meet trials. He's not talking happy, happy. He's talking about realize God's doing something in your life. Be glad that he's not just letting you run. He's bringing discipline and love to your life. Joy here means that even in the midst of God's discipline, we can find peace. We can find obedience. Somehow in the midst of storms, we learn what God is teaching us. 
And the main thing we learn in the middle of storms is that we can trust God to be good. We understand what has happened is best. We don't like it. It hurts. We don't understand it. We want it to stop. We get sometimes to a place of denial, and instead now we learn to replace that with trust. God has allowed this into my life. He loves me. I can trust him to be good. We change in the storm from, God, why is this happening to me? To, God, what do you want me to learn? Because the sooner I learn it, the sooner the storm stops. Don't miss that from Jonah. Had Jonah at any point obeyed God, the storm in his life would have stopped. He could have stopped it when he decided to go down to Joppa. He could have stopped it when he decided to get on the boat. He could have stopped it when he got in the boat. He could have stopped it when the storm came. He could have confessed when they confronted him. He could have told God he'd go to Nineveh. He did none of those things. But God loved him too much. And eventually that love was felt wrapped in the gastric contents of a fish. In addition, God used that moment to show some mariners that there's a real true God. And eventually, God is going to use this moment to show a bunch of people in Nineveh that God hasn't given up on them either. And he's going to send a prophet to Nineveh, and Jesus is going to tell us later that they repented. They did exactly what Jonah was worried about. You see, this moment, we think it's all about a fish. It's not. It's about what God's doing in his love for some people in Nineveh, for some people on the boat, and for Jonah himself. And oh, by the way, for you and me, in the storms of our life. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously without reproach and it will be given. But let him ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. In the context of the trials of your life, if any of you lack wisdom, ask God. We don't serve a God that puts you in a trial and then says, try to figure out what I'm doing. He says, if you get in the middle of the trial and you really want to know what I'm trying to teach you, you just ask me, I'll give it to you. I'm not going to punish you for something you don't realize is going on. If you somehow forget why you're running from God or what the problem is, I'll tell you, God says. I'll give you all the wisdom you need. God wants to make sure that we understand completely the lesson. That's the point of the storm. What good is it to put us through a storm and not reveal what it's about? It's like you going to your kid and saying, I'm going to punish you for this. What did I do? I'm not going to tell you. But don't do it again. He goes on to say that we receive God's wisdom about our trial without reproach. He's not judging us. He's not yelling at us. Here's what's going on, Frank. This area of your life, you're running. I can't let you keep running. Can you just agree with me and go do what I asked you to do? God tells us that when we're going through trials... He doesn't want us to be unaware. He wants us to focus on him and know that he can be good even in the middle of our storm. You see, our knee-jerk reaction is to row to shore and solve ourselves. To take shortcuts that compromise our faith and try to get us out of the situation. What we try to do in the middle of our storm is solve it. Get out of it. And yet James says, no, no, you need to persevere in it because there's a lesson at the end. If God brought a storm in your life, it's not going to end until God says it ends. And oh, by the way, it's going to end when you learn the lesson that the storm was about. 
Now here's what happens. You get in a storm, it's uncomfortable, you don't like it, and you want out. My marriage is struggling, I want a divorce. Well, that's easy, that's quick. Is that what God wants, really? Okay, well, here's the deal. If you do that, the lesson's still going to be there. It hadn't been learned yet. You'll carry it into your next one, and the next one, and the next one, until you finally agree with God that through Him, you can love the person He's brought into your life. But what we think is, I just want out. I want, it, I want the storm to stop. I can't do it anymore. I want the storm to stop. Here's the deal. That storm never stops till God says it stops. Satan is sitting there going, I got a shortcut. You going to do it God's way? You want to do it my way? I got a shortcut. You can be divorced by tomorrow. $35 online right here. You going to do what God says? You want to end this storm right now. I don't care what storm you're in. Satan will come to you and try to give you a shortcut to undercut what God is doing, and you think it's going to get you out of the storm, and it's not. So when you're in a storm, and all of a sudden the water seems to part, the wind calms down, and you see this path that leads to perfection, that's not from God. That's straight from the Satan. Because God wants to teach you the storm. You'll know when the storm's over, God will reveal it to you. God is more concerned about the condition of our souls than our comfort or security or pleasure on earth. If he has to make you miserable on earth, every moment that you breathe on earth in order to get you into eternity, that is what he's going to do. He loves you too much to let your soul go to hell. No matter how much you cry out for it to stop, it will not. God loves you too much. As we gain God's eternal perspective, we see the challenge in our lives not as punishment, but of opportunities to be transformed. We start asking different questions. We stop asking, God, make it stop. God, why me? God, why are you punishing me? And we begin to ask, okay, God, this is happening. You've allowed it. You love me. You know the future. I can trust you to be good. So, God, my question is, what do you want me to learn? And what do you want me to do? What do you want me to learn? What do you want me to do? I want you to go to Tarshish. I mean, I want you to go to Nineveh. Okay, I'm going to run to Tarshish. Well, look, it could have stopped right there. Look, I want you to face your racism. I want you to see people the way I see them. And I want you to obey me so we can learn a lesson together. Now, let me tell you something. Jonah's going to learn this lesson because God has ordained it. God says, I'm going to make you like Christ. You can't hold on to racism and hatred and be like Christ. So one day it's going to go away. You're going to learn the lesson. The question is, how much pain do you want to go through before you agree with God? And what happens in spiritual maturity is you begin to learn that the answer yes solves a lot of issues for you. It keeps you out of a lot of trouble. Learning when God says to do something, you okay, cool, fine, I'm all in. I don't like it, I don't like the way it feels, I'm scared about it, it makes me nervous, but okay, I'm all in. Because I've done it enough times my way, and I really don't like being in the belly of a fish. So I'll just go ahead and agree with you now and save both of us the trouble. It's called surrender, and it's called being a disciple. I'm able to persevere through the storm because I'm gaining your perspective. Which brings me back to a young, dirty, four-year-old boy 
realizing that his pursuit was fruitless, that the constant running consequences of my flight may be worse than the consequences of surrender. With much fear, I released my grip on my control. I came to mom and confessed that yes, I probably am dirty. Yes, I do need to be cleaned. And then with my eyes closed, fully naked, fully exposed, I braced for it. But mom didn't chase me to hurt me. I braced for the Brillo pad and the lye soap and the painful scrubbing and the lecture. And instead, she pulled out my Tony the Tiger foam mitt. She had my favorite Tony the Tiger mitt. Her touch was not scrubbing and punishment, but gentle and full of love. I remember that she sang softly and she hummed, told me how much she loved me, that I didn't really want to be dirty and I would feel so much better clean. And then she methodically went through the process of cleaning me. The process was one of deep love, not punishment. I remember her saying, all right, pumpkin. She called me that once in a while. Now you're clean. Don't you feel better? And remarkably, I felt better than I ever had before. She wrapped me in a huge warm towel and just held me. And I remember the feeling of that embrace. And she just kept humming and telling me how much she loved me and that I didn't need to disobey her or run from her because she always had the best for me. And looking back now, I can see there was no way I was going to get out of taking a bath. It would have been easy at the beginning just to submit. But I didn't understand that her pursuit of me was because she loved me. I thought she was angry, but actually they told me later they were laughing at how hard I was trying to get away. And how I thought I was hiding and I wasn't. How I thought that if I put on enough clothes, they couldn't get me in the bath. So I went to my closet and put on every cloth I have. They thought it was funny. I thought they were judging and getting ready to punish me. I didn't like my dirt exposed. I didn't like the idea of actually coming clean. Being clean was okay. Coming clean was not. I thought she was going to punish me, but that's only because I'd never actually been bathed in love and grace before. I remember that I used to be afraid to sleep in my grandparents' home because it was right next to a train track and some huge pine trees that made noise at night, but that night I was clean. But I also went to bed knowing that I was loved. There's nothing better than knowing that you're clean and you're loved. And that you're secure in the relationship. In the same way, God wasn't chasing Jonah and isn't chasing us to punish us. He's chasing us because he loves us. We don't have to fear our punishment because he's already taken our punishment for us. All that he has for us is grace and mercy and forgiveness and transformation. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Only loving grace and transformation. He points out our dirt so we can learn. His touch is gentle and full of love. The soap he uses is grace and mercy. He lovingly goes about making sure that we're clean, pouring out his love on us like water from a cup, cleansing us from all that separates us from him so the relationship can be perfect. All while humming and singing and telling us how much he loves us, reminding us that when we're clean, we'll feel much better. And then he wraps us in the warm towel of his forgiveness and he holds on to us in his love. 
He makes sure that we know we're safe and secure in the relationship. And he reminds us that next time, it'll just be easier to say yes. He loves us too much to leave us dirty and defiant, no matter how hard or how far we try to run from him. If you read about this moment in history at a very superficial level, it's a great children's story. Unfortunately, when we tell this story to children, we leave out the most incredible part of the story. Children get the idea that if I don't do what God says, he's going to punish me and send a fish to swallow me. We don't tell them the part about God's love. You see, Jonah didn't end up in the belly of a fish because he was being punished by God. He was driven there by the love of God. He was driven to the depths of his existence because God wanted to show him the depths of his love. He was driven to near death so that God could show him what it means to really live. An angry, judgmental God would have let Jonah go to Tarshish, but being wrapped in gastric juices of a fish is the most loving experience that God could choose for Jonah in that moment. And that's where we pick up this story as God continues to show us Jonah and begins to continue to reveal to us who he is and who we really are. We'll do that next week. Let's pray. God, I thank you that no matter how far we run, you reel us back in in love. You'll go to great depths, no pun intended, to do whatever it takes to get us to rise and come back and do what you want us to do. God, I can almost guarantee you that every one of us in this moment is running from you at some point in our life. And the storm's intensifying. And all you want us to do is confess it, agree with you, and go back in the direction you told us to go. It is so easy, God, to say yes. And so much harder to run. Thank you, God, for pursuing us no matter where we go. Thank you for pursuing us even when we don't know you. Thank you, God, for loving us enough not to let us go. Thank you for caring enough about our eternity with you to let us go through whatever we have to go through here. Help us, God, to keep our mind on the mission and higher things and not just getting out of the moment. We love you. We thank you. Thank you for our church. Thank you for your word. Thank you for all you're doing in our lives, and we ask it all in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Thank you.